Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Isaiah 5, and its image of a watchtower and a vineyard of bitter fruit. It not only inspired Bob Dylan to write and Jimi Hendrix to perform all along the Watchtower, one of the most iconic songs in the American rock and roll catalog, it also inspired Julia Ward Howe to write one of the most recognized hymns in American hymnals, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. The hymn is often invoked as a rallying cry to nationalism, a sort of onward Christian soldiers. But it was never intended as such. Howe wrote it as recognition of God's judgment on her own country, our country. It was written as she looked out from her hotel room over the city of Washington, D.C. in 1862 as the Union Army poised and prepared to march into Virginia against the Confederacy. Slavery had torn the nation to pieces. And thus, the people of this country were reaping the bitter fruit of their ways. Julia Ward Howe could have been the prophet Isaiah, issuing a warning about the reckoning to be had. The reckoning now knocking at the door. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before His judgment seat. And the most familiar words from her hymn, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of His terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Look how far this watchtower, this vineyard of full and bitter fruit This biblical imagery reaches Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Julia Ward Howe, and the great John Steinbeck. He wrote an epic book of some 500 pages back in 1939. It earned him a Pulitzer Prize, eventually a Nobel Prize in literature. It made him a household name and the bane of every high school literature student in this country for the last 75 years. His is a story about the Jodes a family of Oklahoma dirt farmers who are tractored off their land by the banks. They are forced onto the road west to California hoping for work. Onto Route 66, the Okies and the Arkies escaping the Dust Bowl for a better life. A half a million Americans made that journey, the largest migration in U.S. history. And as Steinbeck tells it, it is one Sorrowful tragedy after another miserable disaster. Grandpa Joe dies and has to be buried alongside the road. 
Noah Joad, a wild and peculiar young man, the oldest kid in the family, can't take the ride anymore and just wanders into the Colorado River and we are left to wonder if he drowned or found life or whatever happened to him. Then grandma dies as they cross the Mojave Desert. She is buried as a pauper in an unmarked grave outside of Bakersfield. Rose of Sharon, the daughter, is abandoned by her husband, Connie. Tom Joad has to go into hiding because he killed a man in self-defense. Rose miscarries her almost full-term baby. Their preacher who came along with them gets arrested while defending those in a labor camp from hired security. He is later murdered by the same thugs. His last words screaming out, you just can't starve people to death. And as the story comes to an end, the few Joads left standing or hiding in an old barn as a flash flood washes what few possessions they have away. You need an antidepressant and a trauma counselor to get through this thing. I read it again this week just to make sure I could recall the details. It was Steinbeck's wife, Carol, who was also his editor and his typist and his publicist, who suggested he take a line from the Battle Hymn of the, of the Republic as the title of his new book. She suggested it after leading lines from the original manuscript, lines describing how the rich landowners would destroy surplus crops back during the Depression to keep commodity prices artificially high. Instead of giving the food to the migrant workers who were making less than a dollar a day, whose kids were starving, who had been ground to dust by the Great Depression, and who had no place left to go. Here are those lines. There is a crime here that goes beyond denunciation. There is sorrow here that weeping cannot symbolize. There is a failure here that topples all our success. The fertile earth, the straight tree rows, the sturdy trunks and the ripe fruit, all while children are dying of starvation because a profit cannot be made from an orange. The coroners fill in their certificates because the food must rot. The people come with nets to fish for discarded potatoes in the river, but the guards hold them back. They come in rattling cars to get the dumped oranges, but the oranges have been sprayed with kerosene. So they stand, and they watch the potatoes float by. They listen to the screaming pigs being killed in a ditch and covered quickly with lime. They watch the mountain of oranges slop down to a putrefying ooze. And in the eyes of the hungry, there is a growing wrath. In the soul of the people, the grapes of wrath are filling and growing heavy, growing heavy for the vintage. Of course, Steinbeck's masterful novel is The Grapes of Wrath. It is about vulnerable people. Hardworking but suffering people. Caught in the cogs and the gears of an unjust system and a greed-fueled machine that drives them and devours them and crushes them. Them. And as Ma Jode would say, our people are good people. Our people are kind people. Pray to God someday, kind people won't all be poor. 
pray to God someday that a kid can eat. Isaiah 5, Dylan, Ward Howe, Steinbeck, they all find their voice, they find their metaphor, they find their message in the ancient Jewish prophets. It is a consistent message retold a thousand times and in a thousand different ways and places with each telling ringing as true as the last. And it is this. Perpetual, systematic, injustice and unfairness always ends in destruction. Too many times it is people who are destroyed. Good people, kind people, usually Poor people who have neither power nor means to stick it to the man or to reverse the wrongs inflicted upon them. And sometimes destruction comes to the entire kit and caboodle. The whole thing comes crashing down because it is so undermined, so rotten from the core that it cannot hold. Isaiah's vineyard was no Napa Valley showcase that produced vintage Cabernet, but it was a precious thing in his day. A vineyard like the one Isaiah describes could produce both fruit and eventually good wine, great wine, and these wines were a tremendous source of income. They could be sold, they could be bartered, they could be traded, and it wasn't uncommon even as Isaiah does here for God's people to be portrayed as that vineyard. They brought God joy. They were God's hope for the future. And this is why God is portrayed here as a careful cultivator. He builds a wall to keep the animals out. He has a watchtower to protect against thieves and robbers. God has done all this that is necessary for people to thrive. God has shed His grace on thee, to quote another popular but often misapplied hymn. And that grace should produce good fruit. It should lead to kindness, to joy, to happiness, to hope. And I wonder if Paul doesn't have this vineyard metaphor in his mind when centuries later he writes about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he adds, against such things there is no law. That is, you can't prohibit these things. And more so, no law would be required if people allowed these prevailing qualities to persist in their life. How our world could stand a little love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you recognize your blessings, if you cultivate the Spirit, if you grow in the good soil in which God has planted you, these are the product of experiencing grace. And people who have collectively experienced these things, you would think would be producing a more beloved community. God comes looking for exactly that, but what does God find in Isaiah 5? 
It is what Hal found looking out onto Washington, D.C. from her hotel window. It is what Joe and the Jodes found in the Dust Bowl and on Route 66 and in the great California Valley. It wasn't justice or righteousness. It was violence and bloodshed. It was greed and brutality. It wasn't the spreading of grace. It was the escalation of suffering and distress. I read a column just a few weeks ago, fairly recent, local news. A husband and a wife over in Gulf Breeze recently bought a six-acre lot where they would build their dream home. They started clearing the land themselves. And every time... They cut down a tree, it landed on the ground with a clinking metallic sound. Weird. So they started doing some exploration and pulling the undergrowth back, and they put a shovel in the ground, and they discovered that their future home site was a massive pile of trash, so deep that they could not find the bottom of it, even with a tractor. Go back to May 1971. Minutes from a county commission meeting are found. There they discover the trashy news that the land was designated those 50 years ago as a temporary landfill. And no one had disclosed that information to the buyers. Not the previous owners, not the board of commission, not the county government. So you know what's going on. Our favorite thing to do in this country, we're going to sue somebody. The lawsuits begin. Water monitoring wells have been dug. Hazardous material studies are underway. There's local, state, and federal agencies involved. Bankruptcy is on the table. All plans are in jeopardy. And what should have been, what appeared to be a pristine forest a wooded dune in eyeshot of the Gulf of Mexico is a rotten trash heap. Entire communities, entire societies, entire nations can end up this way, and I'm not just speaking about ecological destruction. When we champion greed over fairness and equality, when we take the side of power and the powerful, And fail to protect the vulnerable and the least of these. When we reward dishonesty and mock integrity. When we teach our children that it's every man, woman, boy or girl for himself or herself. No matter who gets hurt or stepped on in the process. When we live like someone else's troubles are no skin off our backs so long as their bleeding doesn't become ours. When we would rather destroy what is good and what would help others than to cultivate it and to share it, we are trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. And no group of people can abide in this world very long treating one another with such injustice. We are destroying the good garden of God's grace, tearing down the watchtower, trampling the vineyard, forfeiting the only protections in which a just and a fair community can thrive. You put a shovel in the ground and it is trash all the way to the bottom. So contaminated that it cannot hold anything of worth or construction. The question becomes, and this was always the question of the prophets, 
is there still time? Is there time to act? Is there time to bring forth that good fruit of a people who treat one another with grace? Who take the side of justice? Who choose to make their paths and their actions straight? These are not democratic values. These are not North American values. These are biblical values. These are Jesus-like values. To do what is right... To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. There is nothing else required than that. It is living in such a way that we do not prop up, approve, or participate in systems that hurt people. Especially people who are on the verge of being plowed under by the systems of this world. A lyric from Stevie Wonder comes to mind. And this one would have been a good one to sing today too. Now I lay me down before I go to sleep. In a troubled world, I pray the Lord to keep. Keep hatred from the mighty. And keep the mighty from the small. Heaven, help us all. Near the end of Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, If you can make it that far without bursting into tears. (laughs) Young Tom Joad has to take to the road alone. Law enforcement is after him. They have framed him. But he is at peace. He knows he must run to protect his family. What remains of them. And it breaks his mother's heart. And there's an exchange near the end of the book that goes like this. Ma said... How am I going to know about you? They might kill you, and I wouldn't know. They might hurt you. How am I going to know? Tom laughed uneasily, and he said, Well, maybe like that preacher said, A fella ain't got a soul of his own, but only a piece of one big soul. So I'll be around. I'll be everywhere. Where there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. Where there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there. I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad, and I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and know that supper's ready. And when our folks eat the stuff they have raised and live in a house that they have built, I'll be there. Wherever We find the least of these. Be it the poor, the imprisoned, the hungry, the needy. That is where we must be. For the Lord Himself is in those who are in the greatest of need.